Greetings and welcome to Mind Matters News. It's well known that when it comes to casinos, the house always wins. Or at least, almost always wins. Legends tell of players with the skills to beat the casinos at their own game with techniques like card counting, shuffle tracking, and more. This week, we talk with one such player, Sal Cordova, about advantage play, the history of computers and algorithms in gambling, and the holy rollers. Enjoy! Welcome to Mind Matters News. I'm your winning host, Robert J. Marks. I teach a graduate course in probability and stochastic processes. There I teach the stupidity of casino gambling. In statistics, there's a theorem called the law of large numbers. It teaches you can't win in the long run at casino games, period. The law of large numbers is a mathematical truth. It's a law as serious as the law of gravity. It's why casinos always get rich and the gambler always gets poor. There is a chance that you will win the lottery or win a million dollars jackpot in the casino, but there's also a chance you will get hit by falling space debris while juggling. In games like roulette or craps, there are no winning streaks. When played fairly, there is no chance of winning in the long run. It's a mathematical law. I tell people it's better if you give your money to me and I'll decide whether or not to give it back. You have a better chance of walking away with money in your pocket. Our guest to talk about this today is Sal Cordova. Sal is an interesting guy. He has degrees in mathematics, electrical engineering, computer science. He has a master's degree in applied physics from Johns Hopkins University. And he's done a lot of graduate studies, a lot of graduate work in biology at the National Institutes of Health. And the reason we have Sal here is because he has made money card counting as part of his career. And um, that's going to be that's going to be an interesting interesting thing to talk about because he knows about gambling and knows about these law of large numbers. So, welcome, Sal. Oh, thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure to have you. Now, you are from the Philippines, right? Yes. Okay, and you are you have a Spanish name. Why why, why are the Spanish in the Philippines? They were conquered by the the Spanish. Yeah, and they just got taken over. And so I ended up having a Spanish name because the Spanish culture invaded that Asian island. So that's just kind of the story behind it. I, I do get funny looks when people don't know what I look like. And then they see me, it's like, oh, I was expecting to see someone Hispanic, not someone that looks Asian. Okay. And so usually if you do see people that have Asian features, but a Spanish name like mine, Salvador Tuana Cordova, He's probably now, wait, Filipino. wait, wait, you only have three names. I thought in Spain, Spain you had four names. Oh, my, well, I just gave you my legal name. My full birth <laughs> name was Angel Salvador Tuana Cordova. Okay. I'm trying to pronounce it like someone from Latin America. I can't imitate their accent perfectly. Okay, well, great. As I mentioned, casinos always win. Um, one of the things that you know about, which I want to talk about, is the history of gambling. Uh, in the mid-20th century, there were two geniuses from, I think they were both from Bell Labs. And, and MIT, and oh, as well okay. as MIT. Shannon was with Bell Labs, and he did a lot of work at uh, MIT. So Thorpe was with MIT. MIT, yes. Yeah, so it was it was Claude Shannon and Thorpe. And um, one of the things they did is they were wore one of the first body-worn computers into a casino, and they tried to gamble with it. Tell us about that. That's kind of a famous team because of who they were. Claude Shannon 
obviously was the one who authored Shannon's theory of information, and that uh, through him they coined the word bit. Yes. And so information theory and the internet and the modern information age owes a lot to Claude Shannon and at Edward Oakley Thorpe, probably um, a very successful hedge fund manager. He should have won the Nobel Prize in economics because he independently arrived at the Black-Scholes equation for options pricing. Really? So instead of being an academic, what he quietly used his knowledge, he became a very successful hedge fund manager, which is the casino of the stock market. So these are basically two guys that were... <laughs> I've never heard of that. The, yes. The, okay, it's the casino. He wrote, the he wrote okay. Thorpe wrote the book, Beat the Dealer, which was how to beat the casinos. But he also wrote the book, Beat the Market. Okay. And he actually did beat the market. So he applied gambling theory in two, in two venues, one in brick and mortar casinos and one in the, the stock market, which is the giant casino. You know, you shared a, a paper with me, A Favorable Strategy for 21. It was published in 1961. It was published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, which is pretty prestigious. And it was sponsored by Claude Shannon. Claude Shannon. So, so, so they, were, they were good buddies. So do you know what happened when they wore the computer into, into the casino? Uh, they brought their wives with them, and they the wives were kind of in on this too, and they were going to hit the uh, casinos and run up some winnings, but the computer broke down. And this is in the era before they had really developed VLSI. They did have 1961 technology to be doing some of what they were uh, attempting to do. Certainly, if they had anything uh, transistor-based, uh, you know that the, the memory capacity couldn't have been that big. Yeah. So they did a- attempt to use a little bit of physics prediction to help them estimate the odds and therefore beat roulette. But uh, they were unsuccessful basically because of a technical failure. But it was still the theory of blackjack that Thorpe especially was able to break. Thorpe was the one who was the pioneer of blackjack, figuring out how to beat it, and he spent a year. Uh, that was his research. So that's kind of an interesting research project wow. to, to publish in, uh, to, to to publish on how beat how to beat the game. But he was he was he was a math professor at uh, Massachusetts Institute of Technology, and I don't know how he got his department chair to approve that project. But I guess well, you know, when you're in mathematics, especially pure mathematics, you don't expect a lot of external funding because. Nobody cares what you do. <laughs> you know, you want to be in applied math if you if you're going to get funding of that sort. So, oh, that's I, the other thing is yeah. some mathematicians are actually pretty offended if you find some practical use for exactly. what they found. So. Yeah, exactly. So I, that clearly was not Thorpe. He was he was really looking into doing something with his thought. Yeah, I had heard that they were looking at roulette. I don't know where I read this, but. Uh, apparently, there was if there was any sort of slanting or imbalancing of the roulette wheel, there was redundancy in the winnings, and they were trying to figure that out. Now, um, you know, they, they were trying to cheat. They were trying to game the system. I guess maybe that's where gaming, gaming the game uh, came from. Is there any history of uh, casino cheats? Is there a good way to go in and cheat in casinos at all? It's probably not a good idea today because you could get prosecuted for it and Oh, serious. Well, yeah, I guess I guess you could. Uh th- there's like there are laws in Las Vegas like if you if you actually now bring computers in and use it to beat the games, you could be prosecuted for that. I mean, s- stuff that is done now is only called cheating by law, but you're not really 
in my book, you're not really going against the rules of how to actually play your hands or anything. Uh, so, you know, I've really not looked much into the techniques of cheating because I just didn't want to get prosecuted. Oh, I but see. there, but okay. there has been. Um, I'm trying to think of any examples where I knew anyone. I can't think off the top of my hand. Well, you know, I read a I read a book called uh, Race Hoss. It, it was a story about um, a black in in southern southern United States that got sent to prison for terrible things. And he was raised, his mother was a prostitute, and he was raised in this uh, terrible house. But one of the things I used to do is gamble a lot. He maintained that he could throw a dice in order to get a high probability of a seven. He literally knew how to throw the dice. But it had to do with something like sliding the dice. Oh, yeah. And you can't do that in Las Vegas anymore, right? Not anymore. They actually passed the law. So just kind of like how gyroscopes work, you have a lot of angular momentum. It, it resists certain motions. And so what they would do, these dice sliders, they'd, they'd throw the dice. They call just, them dice sliders? Right. So like when you throw a football, you, you, you try to throw it with spin because that helps stabilize it. And, and, and so oh. they, were, they, they were throwing the dice with a lot of spin and then sliding it across the table so it never tumbled. So whatever you set the dice, you know, you just have like a seven on top basically with your two dice. If you could slide the dice, there was no randomizing. And so Las Vegas realized these people were so good at it that uh, they were changing the odds. And so they had, first they passed laws, and then they started to pass rules within the casino. Now, wait, these were not casino laws. These were like state laws or something, or city laws. So it, it, it was it, it was the Las Vegas laws, then you couldn't dice slide. But then on top of that, the casinos began to put felt so that the, the dice wouldn't slide. And then they put oh. these little pyramids on the ends, and then they forced you to throw the dice in a certain fashion it so has that to bounce against the back wall has at to least bounce in the movies. yes it has to and bounce it has to fly you can't slide it yeah so so they made it and then they started to put arresting wires so that if you tried to slide it across from where you are it would hit the arresting wire so they forced you to basically lob it and so oh and then they made so, the, so it's like jumping a hurdle yes ah. and then they made very sharp corners on the dice they got some good physics to count as a countermeasure, but those must have been the glory days of being a craps player. Because if if you're really well practiced at this, uh, you only needed to tilt the odds. Even you didn't even need to do it all the time. If you could just get like maybe a few percent in your favor, uh-huh. you could you could beat the game. Isn't that fascinating? But you know, now, I, now I do recall some instances of cheating where sure. it was prosecuted. It's when the dealer had colluded with the players. So the dealer, oh. yes, so how the dealer could collude with the players, and there are two famous cases. I had to go back into playing, this. Playing what game? Things like blackjack or baccarat. So if the dealer reveals the card, what they call the whole card, it's the card that the players aren't supposed to see. Yes. You know, so the player will make playing decisions based on, if he could make a playing decision based on knowledge he's not supposed to have he has a huge advantage so in blackjack the dealer has what they call a whole card and saying okay this is the card you can't see and after you've finalized your decision as a player then he's going to reveal it and then you find out whether you're going to win or lose and probably he didn't reveal it 
actually reveal it. He probably gave him signs like a third base coach in baseball, you know, touching. The well, actually, or he something. could he could subtly reveal it if uh, with his hands he could like bend the card a little bit so uh, the player could actually peek and okay. see it. Okay. And in one case, it was really funny. The uh, the casino surveillance noticed that the dealer was dealing out the exact same set of cards each time. He had used the false shuffle. So someone, okay, tell, tell me about the false shuffle. What's a false shuffle? A false shuffle is where you, you, you look like you had actually shuffled the cards, but you didn't. I don't know how, how that is physically accomplished. You have to have good hands. It's kind of, magicians are able to do that. And there's a technique where you can make it look like you shuffled the cards, but you didn't. And so he was dealing out the same set of cards each time. And then they were realizing, why are the players so good at predicting what the next card's going to be? Wow. So all they had to do is the dealer would deal out one set of cards and the players would somehow take note of what the cards were. I don't know how they did that. And then the dealer would do a false shuffle and deal out the exact same sequence the next the next time. And when that's done, the player has huge advantage. So the casino bosses began to be suspicious why this particular player was winning so well. Yeah. Like he knew what the next card was going to be. And so they have casino surveillance and they used video cameras and they realized, oh, wow, this is this is how it was being done. And the FBI came in and they prosecuted the guys. So really? those are the two big instances I know. And this is kind of, kind of interest to me because it starts to deal with issues of probability and kind of my areas of interest. You know, what's the chances that you could deal the same deck of cards the same way each time. And this 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 relates to things and some of our interest in biology and stuff. And so I was just fascinated. So if, by I, if, I, if I know Vegas, they had to come up with some sort of rule where the dealer doesn't shuffle or something like that. Uh, is is that true today? How are the how are the decks shuffled for blackjack? Do you know? Does the dealer shuffle them? Uh, it depends on the casino. Yeah. Um, and there's there's some things where it would shuffle the deck and then he'd put it in something called a shoe. Yes. And it's it's dealt out there. And so they have these automatic uh, shufflers. And then they have these things called uh, continuous shufflers where uh, uh, after the dealer deals it out, he puts it back in the machine and it's, it shuffles it with, their, with the cards in the deck. So there, there are all sorts of devices that they can use to, to, to shuffle or it can be hand shuffled. The, the preferred method, I think, would be machine shuffling because it's faster and it can, it can randomize the, the cards to the standards that the casino would want. I see. Because there are some people that are just savants. They'll actually memorize the sequence and if they have a good understanding of the the shuffling techniques, they can start to in, interleave it in their own brain, and then they're able to predict. Like, do you ever watch the movie Rain Man with Dustin Hoffman and I actually Tom never Cruise? saw that one. Yeah, he, well, he, he's a savant, and he goes in, and they're playing twenty one, and he keeps on saying hit or you know skip or something like that. So he knows what's going on. As so, so those people that can do that are called shuffle trackers. Shuffle trackers. Shuffle trackers. And there's a whole nomenclature for casino oh, yes. gamblers. Oh yes, there's shuffle trackers, there are there are ace trackers or card counters and sometimes you would have teams. Yeah, there are all there are all these techniques. So you mentioned the law of large numbers and the casino always wins yeah. with the law of large numbers. 
So these players that are able to beat the game legally, we would call them advantage players. They actually turn the tables, figuratively speaking, and use the large law of large numbers in their favor. Oh, so tell me about advantage advantage players. I would imagine a card counter would be an advantage player. Advantage players. Yeah. So uh, there's kind of a um, terminology. It's a little bit derogatory. The advantage players are usually your math guys. And so listen up, all you nerds, right? Yeah, <laughs> listen yeah, to this. yeah. Okay. They're the, they they know the odds. They have the proper skills to to execute it in the casino, and they're able to turn the statistical advantage in their favor because they use their minds. And ordinary gamblers, they call ploppies. Because these guys just kind of plop in their seat and just <laughs> ploppy, yeah, get get sawed, okay, get sawed down and beaten down by the casino. They're 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 uh, they're like sheep being sent to the slaughter, and we call them ploppies. ploppies. So you're either a player or a ploppy. I see. I want to be a player. Not a you want to be a player. Yeah. And, and so the advantage player uses his math skills first of all to decide is the game beatable at all. If it's not, then. He shouldn't play it. Now, there's an interesting anecdote to that. The worst week in, in Las Vegas history was when the American Physical Society had their annual meeting in Las Vegas. Oh, boy. And, and the casinos, this, is, this is a gathering of nerds, right? Right. And the casinos were like, yeah, this is going to be great. We're going to have the American Physical Society here. After that week, they had lost. Vegas lost so much money, they said, we'll never allow them to host another conference here. <laughs> really? Yes. And it wasn't ironically because all these physicists were great gamblers. I mean, in the sense that they were, they just didn't play. They, they, they knew that it wasn't worth it. And so Las Vegas didn't make any money off of, off of them. And so, you know, Las Vegas was opening all their hotels and stuff. Giving them free food and comps and free drinks. Or or whatever. And they said that had been the worst week in history. They said they'll never invite the American Physical Society there again. So the first thing of an advantage player is to realize when he can't beat the game, you don't play it. I see. So they would not participate in something like roulette or craps. There are ways to even beat that game, but you have to have certain advantages. There are ways to beat it, but it's not within the rules of the game. There's another angle to this. Yeah. The casinos often give, uh, like in the stores you get coupons, they also give coupons to gamble. So sometimes they'll give you free bets as an incentive. Or oh, you can they buy these give you free chips. Free I, I, chips, yeah. or you buy these uh, coupon books for like $14. and then, Or if you get, happen to get a hold of a bunch of them, and you might be able to get a whole bunch of coupons there have been teams of advantage players that have pulled their coupons and they took the casinos for millions. Or if you work out deals. They pull, oh, so a bunch of people came in, they all got their coupons and gave it to some advantage player. Is right. that right? Coupons is one way. Or they figured out the, you know, the ca- casinos were loose with their coupons. Something like that. There's uh-huh. an angle. The ones where these unbeatable games where you can actually beat them is the casino worked out a, a, a deal that they didn't realize was way to advantage. So let's give an example. So in craps, the advantage I think of the house on what they call the pass line bet is like 1.4% against the player. Okay, now that's the difference between winning and losing. Is that what you mean? What's the 1.4%? I don't get that. That's a very small number. It, it's like over over the long haul. Uh, let, let's say you're betting $10 every bet. Okay. And say you 
you played a bazillion hand, quote unquote hands. On average, you'll lose one point one point four percent. One point four percent. That's the okay. expected value. Yeah. So okay. you know, over a mil- let's say you were uh, playing dice and you're betting ten dollars at a time, but your total action over, like say, a million hands, quote unquote hands, would be ten million dollars. Well, you take 1.4% of that, that's how much you're expected to lose. Now, there's variance. So, so, so you have the expected value and the variance around that expected value. So you may not exactly be at 1.4%, but the law of large numbers will tell you that your expected value over over time would be 1.4% of the Isn't total action. Isn't that Yeah. Let me ask you, as a mathematician... Um, in something like craps, for example, is there anything such as a winning streak? Yes, yes. Just, just, but you can't, since the trials are independent, what we call Bernoulli independent trials, yes. you can't use the streak to predict whether you're going to win or lose. And, and, and see, these are the illusionary patterns that uh, can fool people. They think they're on a roll in that the next. You know, therefore, the di- what they call the dice table being hot. You want to be there because the next, you're just going to start winning, and then you have the op- the people that look at for opposite patterns. It's like, well, this this table's just been losing and losing. It's got to win, or just all sorts yeah, of and things. And I've, I've heard the casinos take advantage of this. One of the things they do over roulette tables is they put a list of the history of the winnings, right? right. They, they put like. And I don't know the numbers. I'm making them up. Black 32, red 14, uh, green double zero, et cetera. And people look at this table and they think, oh, my goodness, black is overdue. We've had six greens in a row, so it has to come up black this time. But that has nothing to do with it. It's totally independent of the past, right? That's right. And and I still, you know, it's very hard to explain to some people the that over time, you, it's not, you know, it may work. Sometimes, and that's enough to make them feel that they've got a system, and it just doesn't work. I did want to complete one thing oh, because you did ask, how can you beat these unbeatable games? Let's say that in the craps, the pass line advantage of the house against you is one point four percent. Well, if they're giving you a twenty percent rebate on on your losses, you're going to kill the casino. And sometimes, oh, and these come from the cards and the comps. Is that what you're saying, or? Uh, sometimes when they have what they call a whale, okay. where there's that's a customer that has a lot of money, they want to give them a big incentive. And so sometimes they'll make a mistake. Okay, that's another word for my glossary. A whale. Oh, okay. yeah, we whales. have all these okay. terms, whales. And so sometimes the way they get these whales, who actually are advantaged players, is that the player's just a really good con artist. He might have come in there and just acted like he's a total drunk and degenerate and just frivolous it's a really good actor and there's like hey we'll give you this 20 percent loss rebate so when you have a really bad night we'll give you 20 percent of all your losses back really yeah and that that's cumulative throughout the night yeah oh my goodness okay okay so now where does this come into play there was and the audience here can look at the history of someone named Don Johnson. Don now, there are a lot Johnson. of people named Don Johnson. But well, he, this, was, he was in Miami Vice, wasn't he? Right. That was the actor. There's the Don Johnson who cleaned out Atlantic City. So just Google it, like in the last 10 years. He cleaned out Atlantic City. Oh, yeah, he did. Because he had this 20% loss rebate. And it was only a matter of time before his advantage started to assert itself. So the, what he did was 
he got a loss rebate from one casino, and then he told the other casinos, he said, look at the rebate that this guy is giving me. And so they started upping their loss rebates while he, <laughs> while he was on a losing streak, yeah. but he knew that in the end, all he needed to do, I think maybe he actually got lucky that at the start he was losing, but he had deep pockets. And so they started competing for his business because they thought he was a loser. So I guess no one bothered to analyze his playing skills, which were decent enough yeah. that his blackjack was only playing at a loss of like half a percent. And so then he got that winning streak that was inevitable. He just needed to survive in the law of large numbers eventually kicked in and he he cleaned out some casinos the, the, their their monthly revenue was negative just by that one player so that's i invite hilarious. i invite i invite the readers to to look at that so he actually that's an example of an advantage player actually playing a game that was guaranteed to lose the way the style of blackjack he played without card counting he could have done this with craps or anything but they're giving him generous loss rebates and so even some of these online casinos in some of the early days where they had some of these kind of these casinos that were overseas or whatever, and they weren't very sophisticated, they're offering loss rebates. I know some players who just cleaned out those casinos because the loss rebates they realized were too too generous. Yeah. They may have figured out how to have multiple accounts or something so that, you know, they could really run it up, but they became millionaires within a year. Uh, so these are these are some of the skills of the advantage players in their repertoire is it's not just the game it's it's the marketing incentives and they find a, a defect in it. So for the viewers there who want to try to beat the casinos, maybe not try to do something as hard as card counting. Just look at those sort of marketing things. And then you mentioned the comps. So like. If you play even an average game and not lose too much money, say it like the Venetian in Las Vegas, you could be put up in $400 a night suites. The Venetian is, that's one of the casinos. Yes, it's, it's my favorite casino. Oh, it's your favorite one, okay. Yeah, it's a real classy place, nice and clean. Have they, have, very, have, they ever, very have they ever come to you? Yeah, I was staying in $400 a night hotel rooms wow. for, for like a week. And I, I'm just like, I think I probably only lost like $20 on their, on some of their games. So there, there, there are other ways to be compensated than just the cash. And you can have, uh, there are other casinos around, around the land that are in really nice, luxurious places. And if, if you're an advantage player, you could just get a very nice discount basically on your travels. So there, there are other ways to kind of game the system using marketing comps. And, and, and so for, for the audience, I would recommend those. If, you know, uh, it, it takes a lot of skill and ability to actually beat it, you know, uh, like using card counting and some of these other techniques where you really have to be thinking and using your mind heavily. Whereas using the marketing comps, you can kind of play an average game and you don't have to develop a lot of the skills and and certainly their skills I didn't develop like shuffle tracking, uh, that was that was <laughs> oh those guys are just they're just on another level of ability. You know, one guy he said, yeah, you every night he would take a deck of cards and just go through all of them. He'd wake up in the morning, he'd recite the sequence. Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah, these guys, yeah, these guys were. As I get older, I don't know if you've ever heard it, but the long-term memory of a goldfish averages about three seconds. So I think that, <laughs> that's that's about my long-term memory. Uh, yeah, I couldn't do it overnight. 
We ended up last time talking about Don Johnson and how he cleaned out Atlanta. Do you know how much money he made? Atlantic City. Atlantic City, okay. Oh, it's probably in the tens of millions of dollars. Tens of millions of dollars? In, in the course of a few months. Wow. Yes, he was very good at his craft. And, and so this was a guy that came in, he used comps in order to offset his probability of loss. Right. And was able to turn that to his advantage and won tens of millions of dollars. So... They had to have found him out because if I was him, I would keep on going until somebody kicked me out. Oh, yeah. Out. They had, they, well, they probably even before they found him out, it was just they were losing so much money. They said, we can't afford to keep this guy here. And I can't believe that this is this is such obvious basic math. So the comps that he was offered was a loss rebate. So he was playing a losing game of blackjack. But his, again, going back to the law of large numbers, his loss rate was only half a percent, and they're giving him loss rebates of 10, 20%. Was he card counting? No. No, he was, right? doing, he was doing what they call basic strategy, which okay. going back to Edward Oakley Thorpe and his predecessors, they figured out if you play your hands just a certain way, so if the dealer has a certain card and you have your set of cards, you uh, in 21, you what they call hit or stand. Hit means you draw another card and you hope you don't go over 21 what we call busting, yeah, or you stand where you just say, I'm not going to take any cards. And and so if you just take, in fact, the casinos will even give you the playbook. If you just ask the pit boss, they'll say, okay, this is the right way to play it. It's a publication they give you. Yeah, it's just a, it's just like a, a little index card with all the proper plays. Do they give you probabilities with them? No, they'll no, just say just, this just, is the optimal way. This is the best so way if to the do dealer it. has this card, you play it. And I said, that's really nice of them. But you see, that's... <laughs> that's. So you still end up losing. I, if I remember right, right, from a freshly shuffled deck, uh, your loss is what in blackjack? It's, it's on average about half a percent if you use this optimal strategy that even the casinos will give you. Now, you think that they're being nice... One thing the casinos realize is you don't want to – there's an old saying, you can shear the sheep many, many times. You can only skin him once. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard that. That's a good one. Okay. So they don't – you know, the way they realize that they could get repeat customers is if you don't hurt them too bad. You let them have some good times. They'll keep coming. They'll be repeat customers. It'll add to the – the atmosphere of the casino, and, sure. and, and and you want to see people looking happy. At least you don't want to have all these sad faces there, and they keep coming back. So they realize not not gouging them is a good way. So again, you can she you can shear a sheep many times. You don't you can only skin them once. You don't want okay. to skin them. So what Don Johnson was doing, he was just playing basic strategy, and so that you know at least from the standpoint of whether they are dealing with an advantage player. Uh, superficially, he looked like he was just just an average Joe. Now he's a very good con artist. He would look like he was a loser. He did things that, you know, he uh, made him look like a degenerate. You know, all the girls and stuff surrounding him, and yeah. just just kind of his mannerisms. But he he was hiring actors. So he, he hired actors. Well, he hired actors that were uh, uh, adult movie actors actresses. Oh, from porno. <laughs> that that's. The reports I read. That's a report. So okay. he looked he looked like a real degenerate and, and he, he, he acted the part real well. Uh-huh. But he was playing he was playing just basic strategy. But it was the uh another department 
that they weren't monitoring that was giving him all these loss rebates. And so he cleaned them out. So let me ask you this. Casinos learn from their mistakes and they fix them. Like I understand today they have to very carefully balance the roulette wheel. Okay. There's no, there's no more tilts. We talked about shooting craps last time and how you have to shoot craps right now where you can do no dice sliding. How did they get rid of this thing that let Don Johnson win all these big bucks? I think they had to lose enough money and they came to their senses. But like a lot of organizations, you have pockets of total incompetence yeah. in one department. And it's going to negate all the skill and and diligence that's handled in another. And 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 so this is what happened. The, the marketing department was out of sync with basically the quality controls of and the accounting and just managing expectation values. And Don Johnson kind of had somehow he sniffed that out. I that, see. That the the marketing department was not really looking after the bottom line like they should have, and someone was asleep at the wheel uh, or asleep at the helm. But the funny thing is, I, I think it was multiple casinos that began to to start to compete. I guess they figured, oh, that they're doing it, so we ought to do it too. And, and, and apparently, they weren't too sharp. So, so I'm wondering, do they still offer comps? I think they would have gotten lost rebates them. like that. Well, unfortunately for advantaged players, Don Johnson decided to keep making some more bucks. So he started to become a consultant to oh, these really? casinos, how not to uh, not to do stuff like that. And so uh, his fellow advantaged players were kind of mad at him for that. I so, see. So it, it's just funny how that It's that like will... a hacker that gets caught and goes to work oh, for, yeah, for exactly. the NSA or the FBI. Exactly. So this is, this is an example of... Uh, Again, you know, like a lot of organizations, uh, they'll have pockets of competence and little co- pockets of incompetence. And this is where it hurt the casino and an advantage player is always looking for that. Or someone probably in the higher ups made a really dumb mistake. Looking for the weakest link. Right. You know, so I used to think that the game of poker was a game that involved skill. Until, I think it was about a year ago, a artificial intelligence program named Pluribus beat the world champions at Texas Hold'em, which really surprised me. I thought there was so much psychology in the game of poker, but the fact that an algorithm could beat the world champions in in, in Texas Hold'em, which appear seemingly every year, you get the same people rising to the top playing Texas Hold'em, that really fascinated me, that there was really minimal contribution to psychological psychological uh, aspects of the game. Had you heard of that? No, I've not heard of that. And and uh, because I don't have a poker face, people can read <laughs> me really easily. Okay. I've never touched that realm at all. But there are some people that are very good at reading other people, uh, the reactions to the hands that they've been dealt yeah. and, and their bluffing patterns. Uh, okay. I, I actually, does I does that surprise you too? That, a that, does surpri- that yeah. actually does surprise me a lot. Yeah. So... I could only assume that the the algorithm was keeping track of bluffing patterns of the, of its opponents. Yeah, I don't know the details of it, but um, anyway, they taught it to do it, and that to me was just astonishing. Uh, let's talk about gaming oversight. The casinos have oversight of the games, and you see these casinos, and they have little, these little black half spheres on the top, which are cameras that are monitoring what's going on. What are they looking for? One of the first things is game protection meaning the casinos want to make sure that their own, own employees are not stealing. 
And then like, oh, you mentioned that to me that that that's their biggest fear is that the dealers, for example, are going to stick a few bucks in their pocket, right? Or up their sleeve. And there was one case where in one casino in Tunica, Mississippi, the box man, I think they call it. It's been a long time since I've played craps. Okay. Uh, The head of the craps table was he's taking, called the box man i think he's called the box okay man. last uh, last podcast we started to make a uh, a glossary so we're going to add that to this a box man okay he's the guy that's head of the craps table i think so and he he would take these thousand dollar chips and and like put it in his sleeve or something very discreetly and then somehow he would put it in his mouth and and then he would kiss an employee <laughs> And transfer oh, the chip. Oh my goodness! Okay, his girlfriend, employee. Uh huh. And, and and so for a while, surveillance was having a hard time figuring out how how is he. Do they check dealers and boxmen when they come off the floor? Do you know? I don't think they do. Okay. So, so the, that's what the surveillance is trying to, to to track. But he was really good at concealing where all this was going because they were trying to see if he he was pocketing it or something. And and just the way he, I don't know. There was some action he was doing. He might have not even touched this pocket. I think maybe he was really good at using his hands and his palm to hide it, and he would maybe just uh, put his hand up to his mouth and then consume the, you know, put it in his mouth. And they, you know, they thought, well, he, he's obviously not swallowing it or whatever, but he's exchanging it when he was Those chips it. are pretty big. They would be I know, hard to swallow, I know, right? I know. So I, Unless it, you wrapped it in a meat yeah. ball maybe or something. So, so that's the first thing. Um that's what the cameras also they try to protect the patrons in case one patron's trying to steal money from another i do have some stories about that some of these ladies would come up to you and if you have a big pile of chips they'd start to be really cozy with you yeah and i would have to put my hands around my chips because i didn't want her stealing it oh really they would sneak up and slip a few they chips. they call them rail bandits yeah okay there's another one what is it a rail bandit a rail bandit <laughs> okay that's a good one okay a rail bandit. So, so, so these uh and they could be women of ill repute you don't you really don't know and uh, sometimes they'll cozy up or they'll, they'll try to say, hey, can you, can you spare a chip here or there? And, and so surveillance will be watching some of this, you know, to, that's to protect the patrons. And really last- And do the casinos discourage you from giving stuff to these ladies, to these real bandits? They try to discourage the uh, women from being there if they figured out who they are. I see. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Bad for business. <laughs> do they have the ability to ban people from casinos- Oh, yes. Okay. Uh, so one of the better things, actually, is that they ban addicted gamblers. So some Good. of these yeah. gamblers that enter a, uh, a program to kind of be in recovery, uh, the casinos will cooperate uh, with each other to say, we're going to make sure this guy doesn't get in. And one of the reasons for that, I mean, unfortunately, the casinos would love them to come back. But sometimes the the city or state laws say, okay, you can't do business in our, you can't set up a casino here unless you have a uh, a gambler's recovery type program to help them with their addictions. I see. So the casinos will comply. It's like, okay, we want that license, so we'll do it. Even though we'd really like to just get these guys, we're going to meet them halfway because, you know, some of these advocacy groups will will insist. But how do they monitor people? Like maybe a card counter gets expelled or a, a gambling addict gets expelled. Do they do face recognition? Do they got a guy at the door that, is, that has memorized so all these mugshots? 
uh, they, they use facial recognition now. They uh, do. And then, and then also just sometimes, like the sometimes federal- now they will have guys just the – you have to present your ID, and I don't know if they're scanning it now. It would be really easy now to just present your ID, scan it. Uh, also, if you're if you're a frequent patron, the dealers would recognize you, the the staff. So, but just like a card counter, you could casino hop. It seems to me. Until they start, they photograph you really well, and then they circulate your photo, which they did to me, and it's called the Surveillance Information Network. Okay. The acronym is SIN. So I was, I was put, my photograph is circulated in the SIN network. And one time I was in a casino in Michigan and I got axed. Really? And I drove 300 miles and I said, they're not going to get me there. And they got you. I walked in, I played a little bit and they said, oh, well done, Mr. Cordova. And so they had me, yeah, they had me. And I'm just like- So what do they do? They come up and tap you on the back and- so, well, sometimes they'll be subtle like that, where they don't they don't want a physical confrontation. But yeah. if they really want you out, they'll bring security and say uh, they'll come and say, uh, "Sir, may we have a word with you? We uh, we've determined that uh, your action is too strong." Or they'll say um, they won't even say anything, but uh, they'll come up and say, "Sir, may we have a word with you? Uh, please step away from the table. You can cash your chips, but you're not welcome to come in the casino anymore." I see. Or so sometimes they, they'll they, say, or sometimes they'll be half nice. They'll say, "You're welcome to play any other game, but you can't play blackjack anymore." I see. Now they have these tribal casinos around the land that are run by Indian reservations. Yes, yes. And and so they're not subject to like federal and state law. I mean, I'm sure that there's some things that the states can do, but in those cases, one time I was uh, I was taken aside by the casino security and then detained. And they said, well, it's up to the tribal elders to decide your fate. Oh, my gosh. Because you're not on U.S. land. Exactly. I'm on the on the reservation. They oh, let boy. me go after they just kind of, you know, tried try, try to in, intimidate me. Did it work? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I would imagine. It, 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 I, I'm it, it easily just, intimidated. Um, I, I, It worried me for a little bit. But I, I said, you know, they can't, you know, as long as they're not going to draw their guns if I try to run away, then... I didn't feel that. What they did is they took my driver's license and wouldn't return it. Are you serious? Yeah, they said, can I have your ID? And then he just ran off with it. And I said, okay, I, I could I could walk out the casino, but I can't drive my car back home. So how'd you get your license back? They came back 15 minutes later and said, okay, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll let you come back to the casino, but you can't play blackjack the way you're playing it. When you bet, you have to bet. Your starting bet has to be this. You can't vary your bet because that's how you beat it is when you've calculated the odds are favorable to you. Yes. Then you raise your bet. So sometimes it's very obvious if you're a card counter, you you're you start off betting $5. Now, there's one guy I saw it in Las Vegas. This was not on the tribal casino, but I, this, is the, this is the ideal way to play it is you're just betting the minimal amount. Or, or better yet, you're just kind of standing at the table and watching the other players bet. And when the what they call the the shoe is hot, meaning it has a very high density of aces and tens. Okay, so you got all the bad cards out of the way. Exactly. So this is basically the idea. See, in craps, it's independent trials. But in blackjack, the information you gather from the cards that are dealt out are telling you what's remaining in- What's in, coming in, up. Right, yeah. in the deck. And so if it's a hot shoe, meaning it, it's rich in tens and aces, that's the time to bet. 
And so this guy, he started betting $5 at a time. By the end of the deck, he was betting $1,500. i am just like, yeah, it's really obvious. Uh, he, he knew the odds were in his favor. It was, it was fun to watch him play. So uh, the countermeasure they could say is, well, we're going to be nice. We'll let you play blackjack, but you can't vary your bet. They call it flat betting. You have to, whatever you start off with, you just got to keep betting that amount. Now, we've seen that casinos always look at the games, and if they find a way of cheating, uh, they kind of change the rules. We did that with dice sliding with craps. Um, now, what do they do to discourage card counting? What are some of the things that they do other than surveillance? Clearly, they can right. do surveillance. Yeah, so, so other than banning you from the game or banning you from the casino, and there are all sorts of, t- you know, like the, the softer countermeasures where they'll just say you can't vary your bet when you're there. Okay. What, they change the rules. They change the rules. What does it normally? Is it a bet as much as you want? Is there a limit that you can bet? Normally, there's a limit. Okay. Because the casinos want the law of large numbers to be in their favor, and so if they allowed the bets to be big, they could actually be wiped out by variance, meaning oh, uh, the volatility, the up the and volatility, down. Yeah. and that's really scary in the craps games for them because sometimes there could be this event that might happen, you know, once every two years or three years. Yeah. And what sometimes the players will do is they'll win and they'll just rebet everything that they won. So they just keep doubling their bet. And if they happen to be on a on on a streak that is typical, it could cause the casino to lose a large amount of money. So the way the casinos defend against that is to put um, betting limits. I see. Uh, because <laughs> to help the law of large numbers work in their favor. But you were asking about the other things that the casinos have done to right. circumvent. They have, they've changed the rules, the payouts in the game. So like it used to be, if you got a blackjack, it would pay three to two. You'd basically get 50%. So if you had a $10 bet, you would normally, if you won, you'd normally get $10. But if you happen to have a blackjack, they'll give you 15. I see. Okay. The first thing they did is change the payouts in some games to 6-5. You can't beat that game uh, with ordinary techni- card counting techniques. The other thing is they've had these con- continuous shuffle machines where uh, after the dealer deals out the hands, they'll put it right back in the shuffler. And so you lose all the advantage because the idea is... Oh, so, so the cards are returned and there's an automatic shuffle and immediately, it's, a, it's a new yeah. shuffle. And, and it's a so new it's sh- just like a fresh deck all the time. Exactly. And you the, can't card count that. That's correct. Yeah, okay. Unless you have a full table where you might be able to get kind of a little bit of an advantage because you've seen some of the cards. You don't have a very large advantage in that. Uh Um, Some people have tried, and um, for the most part, you don't do it. Now, the only time that I've known the continuous shuffle machines were beaten is, again, because the casino made a marketing mistake. Uh, They made a marketing mistake like the the loss rebates, and this this time it was they had two generous the coupons were too generous. Yeah. And somehow the advantage players got a hold of all these coupons and they cleaned the casinos out for millions in yeah. Macau. That, that That's fascinating. They also use multiple decks now. They used to not use multiple you can, decks. You can count right? down multiple decks. I've done it. You Really? So yeah. how many decks can you count down? Eight, you clearly, eight. You can go up to eight? Yeah, I've counted down oh eight. Oh, my gosh. Uh, and they also do surveillance. How does that work? They, they watch how you play and... They can watch how you play or they have a videotape 
of how you play, and then they'll put it through a computer and say, okay, these are the cards that were, were dealt out. This is how the player is betting and the way he's playing his hand, and the computer will do an evaluation. And he'll watch you play like three shuff, through three shuffles, three shoes or three decks, and then they'll say, okay, the odds of him being doing this randomly are like that. Otherwise, and they do this in real time. No, right? no. Sometimes they'll just do it uh, just through video surveillance tape. So the next time the patron comes in, oh. they can take. That's what they did to me when the uh, the tribal elders had. <laughs> you know, they reviewed the tapes and said this guy's too good, and 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 so that's what happened to me. If you have something there about some of the interesting players, I could share that too because that's kind of interesting too. Sure, tell tell us about the interesting players. Well, some of them are math professors. One of them. This is, you can look up the name in uh, Wikipedia, Michael Conjar, C-A-N-J-A-R. He, yeah. was, a, he was a math professor at uh, Detroit Mercy School. You know, School. if they made a movie about that, there was one where starring Kevin Spacey. It was a movie called 21. 21. Yeah. Was, was that about him? No. No, no that, was, that, was somewhat, that was somewhat fictitious, but MIT had a big tradition starting with Ed Thorpe of all these skilled players coming. I got you. And, and so the movie was loosely based on kind of the true history of that MIT tradition okay. of technical excellence. So they're good at engineering and they're also really good at the casinos. So math professor, he won like a quarter million dollars and that's even considered not too big among the professionals. But really? he gave some of it, he gave almost he gave a large portion of charity. And there, there was also a Catholic priest Right. He he had the uh, vow of poverty, <laughs> and, and so he <laughs> oh, he used his black. He was he he was an economics MIT graduate, PhD, and he said, "Well, I'm doing this for the greater glory of God," and so he he donated his winnings to the high school to Boston High School, which is I think related to Boston College, and he he got their athletic centers. Now some of the other ones went on to be like hedge fund managers, like Edge Thorpe. One of them invented SMTP, Semyon Dukak. So he was phenomenal. I don't know what this... In email, SMTP. Oh, okay. Yeah. So usually some of these guys are just, uh, they would be skilled. They had the minds that would give them advantage. I think one of the most influential would be Bill Gross. He ran a gigantic hedge fund. Spell his last name. G-R-O-S-S. Okay. He After he got kicked out of Las Vegas, I think he had an injury and... So during his convalescence, he learned how to card count. He went to Las Vegas for a year. They kicked him out, which probably was the best thing for his career. He went on to be a uh, trading in bonds, and he had the largest bond hedge fund. I think it managed like a trillion dollars. Oh, and, and so, and he his saying was, the way we run our hedge fund is we're just like playing blackjack every day. You know, we're always looking for advantages. So uh, these are some of the interesting characters. There's Russell Sands, who was a blackjack player and a backgammon player. He was the backgammon champion. He um, They have champions in backgammon? Yeah. I guess, okay, I guess that makes sense. Um, I don't know that he made money off of it, but he, it again displayed, he may have made a little bit, but it displayed his skill. He teamed up with Richard Dennis. Richard Dennis is a famous uh, futures trader. Uh, Dennis is, uh, he, he started out with 400 or $1,400, turned it into $400 million oh my using mathematical techniques. I think he teamed up with a mathematician named Eckhart. 
and they just made a killing. So there was a bet between him and someone else to say, can we actually make good futures trader or is it something that they just is intuitive? And he formed what was called the Turtles. And the Turtles were, uh, he just gave them this program of how to do futures trading, just very simple rules. And they obeyed it and they made a killing. Was this after Black Shoals? Yes, after Black Shoals. Yeah. And and so Russell Sands was one of these, one of the turtles. I mean, he's also a famous uh, blackjack player. So there's some really interesting characters that uh, have ended up being casino advantage players. And so there's kind of a rich history even of how these guys, where they ended up post their career after they get kicked out of the casinos. Another one was Alan Woods. He made $2 billion in horse racing. Really? And he had computer analysis and he just made a killing off of it. During the crash of 2008, he had all these futures, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, options bets on the NASDAQ market, and he pulled out six weeks too early. He would have owned the NASDAQ, really? figuratively speaking. Yeah. Uh, he would have made a killing during that, that big meltdown. He was just six weeks off if he had held it. So there, there, there's some very good, you know, they apply their casino skills in brick and mortar uh, casinos and apply it to to, to financial enterprises and, and some of them are very quite successful. That's amazing. Let, let me ask you this: Is there still an opening for an advantage player in Vegas? If a person is smart enough, could they go in and there's still these loopholes where they could do be advantage players? That's a good question, and I don't know the answer because it's been twelve years. No, it's been now about 10 years since I was kicked out. And after I was kicked out, I just, I did, I went on to, to, to other things. And, and so I haven't followed it. The last time I went into a casino was just to use the restroom oh, is on right? my way to one of the conferences you and I attended actually okay. out there in West Virginia. So yeah. remember West Virginia casinos. So I'm, I'm sorry, I don't have the answer to that. Okay. So you haven't followed any other people that have gotten rich recently. That's correct. Okay. That's correct. That that's interesting. So but, I, I would just I you know I suggest to the viewers they they could probably you know just look it up and if you can make money, do it. You know. Yeah. If you have the skill and the discipline, I would caution them that if they have the gambling types, not to go in the casino. That's the best thing you can do. Yeah. It, it, that's kind of the really sad side of it. So I, I was on the fun side for a while, but the sad side is just seeing how it ruins so many lives. Yeah. And I had to kind of close my eyes to that a little bit. Otherwise, uh, yeah, I'd probably not want to walk wander in. That is really interesting. Now, since this is Mind Matters, I did want to offer one thing. Sure. This is an interesting application of human and computer intelligence. So the computers were a big part of sometimes, like particularly in blackjack, calculating if the game was even beatable and for formulating a methodology. So uh, Dr. Thorpe was using computers for a year up there in MIT. And people like at Aberdeen Proving Grounds, the Jet Propulsion Labs. This is very interesting. You know, uh, yeah. Thorpe published his paper, A Favorable Strategy for 21 in 1961, which was roughly around the same few years that Bernie Woodrow at Stanford used a neural network called the Adeline oh. to play 21. And, and claimed, I don't know the details, but he did claim that his, um, his Adeline computer beat the theoretical maximum of winning. 
I don't think he did any card counting. I think it was assuming every hand was from a freshly shuffled deck, but it, it came out fine. We're talking to Sal Cordova about casinos, how to win at casinos if you're really a nerd and can find some angle to get in and pry the money away from them. And Sal made his living for a while card counting. And what what was a period of time in your life where you did this card counting? What What years? I'd say from like 2005 to 2014, but it wasn't my full-time job. Okay. Uh, on the weekends, I would go to the casinos and sometimes drive long distances. It wasn't that profitable. I, you know, my father had passed away and it was kind of a chance for me to kind of just decompress, just driving the long distances and kind of a way to, my way of coping. And uh, so it really wasn't that profitable uh it really wasn't that much of a career. It, it was more or less a side hustle. So um, that's a little bit about my experiences there. The, the professionals, they have to be good con artists. I was not. Uh, con they, art, they have to be actors, I guess, right? Very good actors, just persuading the casinos that uh, they're degenerate gamblers. I, you know, there's, I would walk in there. I think people knew right away. It's like I kind of stood out. I looked like, uh, you know, I looked like a scholar and I spoke like one. Okay. And yeah, you look just, suspicious. Yeah, yeah. I just, you just immediately, you know, it's like don't even, if you wander in there and you look uh, like you have brains, it's like, yeah, you're automatically under suspicion. That's, that's fascinating. So I want you to give us a tutorial in card counting. But before I do this, how difficult is it? We talked before and you said it's just like playing the piano. You just got to figure out which keys to touch at what time. But you don't get to be a concert pianist, grandmaster, by figuring out which keys to touch at the right time. There's a lot of skill to it. So it's not as simple as that. That's correct. The concept is not hard. It's just like saying... Uh, playing tennis is just returning the ball that's hit to you, you know? I mean, <laughs> yep. uh, I mean I'm exaggerating, obviously. But uh, I'd say if one wanted to card count, there are computer simulations out there that will teach you, that will examine your ability and, and grade you. So there are a number of counting systems, and they were generated by computers to give you a heuristic. So this is where the computers... So they used computers to generate card count. I thought Thorpe did it in 1961 just right. by looking at the math of it. Correct. And that counting system was brutally difficult. You had to maintain... So the, let, let's just com contrast the, the actual in-practice methods toward the ideal one. The ideal one would be that you knew exactly... You could recapitulate all the cards that were you've observed. Mm-hmm. And then you could calculate the odds in real time for all the cards that you observe. That's extremely difficult to do. Now, with the computer, the role of the computers in this was one of the major roles was to find an estimation system, an estimation system that a human could actually execute. You have to have a good short-term and maybe even long-term memory in order to do this. Is that right? Relative, a good short-term memory. You, you have, have, to, have to be reasonable at arithmetic. So I'm going to give you the counting system that I used. Okay, let's so, so, But this was developed by the computer. So the computers will give you 
it'll estimate the optimality of your heuristic. So this is a heuristic. Maybe since you're a computer guy, you could probably explain what heuristics are. Um, it's just an intuitive algorithm. It's it's one you make up by the seat of your pants and your experience, your life experience. Right. So this was this was just kind of an estimation system. It, it turned out that in terms of the bets, what would be the optimal bet to put forward? It's ninety nine percent accurate. In terms of the in terms of the optimal play of your hands, it's seventy five percent, and it was good enough. So that would mean that okay, if, if let the, pass that by me again. Ninety nine percent was what? Betting, meaning it would tell you whether you're supposed to put out a thousand dollars versus say five dollars. Okay, this was the optimal algorithm versus the optimal algorithm. The one that you have as a human that the computers figured out is ninety nine percent good enough. Oh, as wow. Far that good. Okay, but as far as playing strategy, it was only seventy five percent. So what would this mean if your advantage? Uh, again, with the law of large numbers and expectation value, if the theoretical advantage were, say, 2%, you could get 1.5%, which is enough to put the casinos on their knees if they let you play long enough. I see. Because what ends up happening is as you keep winning money, you have an exponential growth law. Yes. And so that's why they want to nip it in the bud because you could start out with $10,000 in what they call your bankroll. And... Um, I mean, if you think about it, if you have a 1% advantage, wouldn't it be nice to just kind of exercise 1% advantage, like say, in your bank account over a certain cycle? Yeah. So if you're growing your bankroll by 10% every week, you're, you're just going to kill the casino at some point. You are, yes. And that's why they want to get, you know, they're not worried if you're still at the small scale, but some of these guys will grow their bankrolls from like $10,000 to millions and then they start to become a real threat to the casinos. One of the challenges is if you have a bankroll, you have to be very careful in the way that you bet it. For example, you don't want to put your entire bankroll right. down on one bet. And I learned this, I, I was in a business called Financial Neural Networks, and there's this uh, there's this risk risk security trade-off. You have you have a balance between the risk that you take and the amount of money you make. And the risk was a big choppy curve. It went up, but it shot up, it shot down, it shot up, it shot down. And you made lots of money with lots of risk. But that curve went up and down and up and down and up and down. Whereas if you if you erred on the side of security, it went up very gradually, but not as much. Right. And one of the things I found out, which is obvious once you know it, that if you're jumping up and down and you jump up and down and that curve hits zero, you're done. Right. That's you're called done. gambler's ruin. The gambler's ruin. Okay. So if you bet too much and your bankroll gets Wiped totally out. done. And you can do that when you're playing with probabilities, right? Right. And 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 actually it's a this is a important theoretical result by John Kelly, who also worked with Bell Labs, an MIT guy. Uh, so there must have been some connection in that era between Bell Labs and MIT. Uh, this was an achievement and it's actually very simple. If your advantage is like, say, 1%, approximately the most you should bet on any one given bet is 1%. Beyond that, you start to lose efficiency. And if you double it, you'll go to ruin. So we call it not overbetting. And preferably, if you wanted to limit that variability, you would only do fractions of the what they call the Kelly. So when they say full Kelly, you're, you're at your maximum amount of growth, 
but you're going to have too much variance. So you want to be. It's that jumping up and down. That's right. the variance. That's so, where you go. Right, you right. go a jagged you want, curve. It goes straight up, but man, it, it just bounces up and down as you go up. So the professionals will often operate at quarter Kelly or one eighth Kelly, and then the hedge fund managers realized they could actually import those ideas in the management of their hedge funds. Ah, uh, okay. And, and so this is why they. This is why it's really nice to see the casino math play out like that. And so. Um, now, I, I, there's some stuff where you can actually start to put in a little bit more to refine the Kelly betting. I simplified it, but it's it's there. You, uh, the the uh, listeners can can look it up, and so that's very interesting. And so just Google Kelly Criterion, the Kelly Criterion, and another way of framing it uh, in terms of just raw metrics is the expected value versus the variance. So they call that the Sharpe ratio. You divide the expected value by the variance or vice versa. You know, in engineering, we call that the signal-to-noise ratio. Yes. It's yes. exactly the same. I didn't. Yeah, I'm embarrassed because I'm an electrical it, engineer. I, I should know that. No, yeah, yeah, well, the expected value is what you, what you get, and the uh, that's the signal because you want to maximize that. But the variance on the bottom is the amount of wiggle or uncertainty that you have. So that's the noise. And that goes back to Shannon, who said, okay, this is the amount of information you could transmit on that. See, this all connects. This it is all why, connects. That's, that's, that's right. why, you know, you think of Shannon there trying to beat the roulette wheels. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, I should I should have known that. So um, back to the actual card counting, there, they formulated using the computers all these various counting methods. But I'll give you the one that I used. And so what you do... So there's a number of ways to card count, right? Yes. And probably some are more difficult and require more memory than others. Right. So the MIT team used a relatively simple count, but the initial counting systems were just brutally difficult. You had to keep track. The simpler ones are just a single count, and I'll explain how that is. So let's say you keep a running sum. So if if you see a certain card like an ace or an eight in the advanced omega-2 system... That's the one that I've used. That, that's the card counting system you use. Omega I two. used, right. If you see an ace or an eight, you just add zero to your running total. Oh. So you just, okay, so so the dealer's dealing and you observe aces and eights from his deck. And you say, I'll just add zero, which is easy. If you see four, five, or six, you add the number two. Okay. And so you can see how that you can get confused because you see a four, it's like, I add two. I see a six, I add two. So you have to try to separate the numbers. And then at that time, also in all of that, the dealer's calling out numbers like you have 16 or so. And you have to be able to separate the numbers out. So that's the first skill, not to be confused. So aces and eights are zero. Two, three, and seven, you add one. Four, five, six, you add two. Face cards, which are like tens, Jack, queen, king, you subtract two, and nines, you subtract one, and that's it. That's one of the the best card counting systems in terms of accuracy. Really? And then you can you can do what they call, if you want to keep two counts in your head, you count the number of aces that have come out. And that's how, you, when you can keep those tallies, you have some idea of then the remaining strength of the deck. So what do you do with that number? You have the number. How do you use it? Okay, so just basically, if it's a very high number, you start increasing your bet. If it's a low negative number, you want to reduce it. But to refine that... So what's a high number? It's, it's just kind of a fuzzy... Okay, in, in, single, in single deck, there's what they call the... 
I think it's called just the running count, the raw count. Okay. But then you have to adjust it by the number of cards dealt out. So, so, oh. so the true count, like, I think you call it the true count. So what happens is, let's say you have a, a single deck game, that's the easiest, and he's dealt out half. And let's say your running count is at six. You divide six by a half, now it's at 12. That's when you bet your maximum. Oh, you're, really? You're, you, that's, the advantage would correlate to, again, so with each hand, I mean, with each count level, there's an associated advantage. I think the maximum advantage you might have when it's the counts are that high could be like 6%. So then that's when you have the computers actually figure out beforehand how much you're going to bet. And so you, before I would go into the casinos, I'd look at my bankroll, you know, like say it's $30,000, and the computer would say, okay, if you're operating at a fraction, a Kelly fraction of one-eighth, this is how much you can entitle yourself to when you have the maximum count. And you go into the casinos and say, okay, if I have a count, a true count of six, this is how much I could push out $300. If a true count of three, I would push out this amount. So I'd actually kind of, you have all these tables you would memorize, and that's how you would use it. So the first skill is to actually be able to count the decks and keep that running count. And then you have to div divide it by the number of cards dealt out. And you can either use your eyes to kind of just guesstimate, or you could actually count also the number of cards that were dealt out <laughs> if you really wanted to be an aficionado. And then you could also be counting the aces, and you could kind of adjust the counts with the number of aces dealt out. And so sometimes, why, why would anyone try to do this? It's just like you, you see these neighborhood kids, they have these hoops in their uh, driveway, and they're just kind of you know, trying to take basketball shots and seeing how far, farther away. Well, it's, you just get to the point, you're just like challenging yourself mentally and seeing just, you know, how, how far can I push my, my mental abilities here? And um, so it began to be a game of like, okay, can I, can I keep these counts accurate? You'd have to be sharp when you did this. You couldn't be sleepy or tired. It would be undesirable. And the thing you did not do is drink. Oh, uh, drink of any not. alcohol. Of course, I've not. I don't drink. I I rarely drink anyway. But that was always that used to be kind of the the running joke. If you see someone drinking bottled water, that, that was just like no. <laughs> I wonder if and, the and, casino and look, bosses look at that. Huh? Oh, oh yeah. It's like uh, uh, you know, this guy's just kind of. He looks like a scholar. He drinks bottled water, and he he doesn't seem to be bothered whether he loses. Or not, you know. And by the way, card counting doesn't guarantee you win. It just it just increases the probability you win. Right. And so, which again, the idea is you don't overbet because then you try to get the law of large numbers in your favor. So this is, you know, some of the skills that kind of gives kind of, you know, the skills that have to be developed to, to, to beat the game of blackjack. Yeah. And so the ones that are good at it just kind of kind of love the game just for the challenge. You know, Bill Gross, who's that hedge fund manager of a trillion dollars, he likes to play blackjack. He's not doing it for the money. Now, he has to sneak into the casinos now because they they, they, uh, they know who he is. And sometimes you can get away with it. Um, you have to go in there in, in, in a disguise. And when I started to get photographed, I'd... My favorite outfit was the pimp outfit. So, <laughs> you would go, but but you said you're a bad actor too. So I was a bad actor. You, you, it you, didn't you, fit, you, so I'd be there in my pimp hat and kind of my loose serious? clothing, and I'd have to walk like a boy from the hood. 
Now, do, I, you have, do you have any pictures of yourself? I'd love to post it on the podcast page. <laughs> I don't think I do, unfortunately. Okay. Now, uh, the get-up that they said looked at least halfway convincing was I'd be in my cargo pants and wearing a deer hunter outfit. Okay. That, that kind of made me blend in. Or they said just kind of look, look like you're uh, just like a, a guy who'd been – you know, some of these uh, workmen who paint houses or whatever. A good old boy. Yeah, a good old boy. And, it, uh, and I was, I, I had some partners there that tell me, yeah, that, that, look, that looked pretty convincing and they, until they heard you talk. I see. Well, you have to see, I was, I was born in West Virginia, so I have mastered an Appalachian accent. Uh-huh. And I could break into my Appalachian accent any time I wanted to. And uh, so I, 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 I could pass. Good. Yeah, that, that is good. Oh, yeah, I'm in West Virginia for three weeks, and I, man, I'm just talking like the natives. So it's, uh, it's amazing. Let me ask you a question. Clearly, there's different levels of card counting depending on how complex things you can juggle in your mind. And as you go up the difficulty, the, the chances of you winning are better, right? So that suggests that there is an optimal, there's a best way of doing it. Now, that would require you to literally be a computer, but right. of course, you can't be a computer. Now, MIT, and I'm going to ask you about this. MIT, um, there, there was a graduate student that came up with something called alter ego. And the idea was that, and I'm not sure the way they got his face, but just, just bear with me. It's the idea that you use your teeth as a keyboard. And when you use your teeth as a keyboard, you did this, I forget what they call it, a sublingual sort of uh, message. Some people move their mouths when they read, for example. But there's these little micro changes in your face. And those micro changes in your face can be picked up as a communication to a computer. And and this guy that was showing alter ego would go around and they would ask him questions like, what's the capital of Luxembourg or something? And he would go, and then he would answer. And clearly what he was doing is kind of typing on his teeth. I think it's more complex than mm-hmm. that, but I, typing on your teeth is the easiest way to explain it. He would move his tongue around to give these messages from his face. And then there were um, there, there was vibrations from his face, too, uh, that also communicated from the computer to him. Now, all of this can be done through a cell phone. I don't think that they ban cell phones from casinos. Do I don't know? think that. No, no, I don't think so. Yeah, no. I, 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 I can't imagine them doing that. So, um, if you did that, could you really clean up at card counting if you had an interface to a computer program which told you the optimal play as you began to type in all of the cards that have been played? No, no. That's because, a surprising answer. No, because this is really kind of interesting because the merging of human and computer intelligence, the computer intelligence kind of gave you gave you the human strategy to play it. But as I said, the, the correct plays are still 75%. So you have to, the correct plays being you memorize all of these tables. And I had pages of tables memorized where it would tell you, okay, under this count, this is the best, this is the best play to make. Really? And it would be 75% of what the computer could do. And in that book, I, I loaned you okay, the book. Yeah, by, let's, let, let me talk about this. Uh, yeah. uh, Sal gave me a book. It's called The Theory of Blackjack, and it's in, in its sixth edition. And the subtitle is The Complete Card Counter's Guide to Casino Game of 21. So this is going to tell you. By Peter uh, Griffin. By, by Peter, Peter A. Griffin, G-R-I-F-F-I-N. 
and it's in its sixth edition. Did you learn from this book? No, I learned from Blackjack for Blood by Bryce Carlson. <laughs> this is <laughs> Blackjack for Blood. Oh, what a terrible name. Okay. So um, anyway, you, you, you but, were explaining that. But that book that. was a theoretical. It elaborated on um, Ed Thorpe's original work. Which you said he gave, he gave forth a very complicated algorithm. Very complicated counting system. And it tested out well, but it was just it was brutally difficult to use. In so the what casino. you're saying is that this simple card counting algorithm that you came up with is pretty close to as good as you can do. Right. That's amazing. Now, you did mention about these computers. Yeah. There was originally, some long time ago, Keith Taft, who he <laughs> he built the first wear another wearable computer, and, and he would use his <laughs> uh, toes to activate. To, uh, that was the other thing I was to thinking. Type, to type yeah. the cards that he was observing. Yeah. And then it would buzz when the when the counts were high and tell him, you know, and he would he would play. So he he was successful at that. And then he teamed up with some kind of not the most savory characters. Uh, he, he would have these people as observers with the computers and then the big whales or the, the big betters uh, team up. And the big betters would just kind of rely on the guys with the computers just standing behind them. And, and, and the guys with the computers would let them know when to ra- start raising their bets. Okay. And they would play probably basic strategy or some variation of the strategy. In the high, and they were cleaning out for a month until the c- casino surveillance figured it out. Well, see, that, that's a question. Usually the casino, if you figure out uh, something's going on, they change the rules so that you can't game it, if you will. Right. And uh, that resulted in a Las Vegas law that you can't bring computers into the casino. You can't. But what's interesting is you can bring cell phones in. And you know that those cell phones are more computationally powerful than anything Claude Shannon or uh, so could I have th- brought I, in. I think what they would say is you can't use it. I uh, see. In 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 the commission of the game, you could get in big trouble. So, but really, there's, but there's again because you could beat the game, you could still beat the game, and you're seventy five percent efficient. So most of my professional gambler buddies would say, "Don't don't even try." The, the risk of you getting uh, thrown in jail and prosecuted, even if you're innocent, just don't even you know don't even give them an opportunity to to. To hassle your prosecution. So my idea about alter ego and typing on the teeth would get me arrested if I did that. Yeah, that would be out. kind. Of, yeah, yeah. Okay, wow. Well, so, so just well, learn. There goes my get. get rich I know, book I know, I know. That's, that's too bad. Well, Sal, this has been this has been fascinating. We've been talking to Sal Cordova. The guy has more degrees than a circle. Uh, he has degrees in mathematics and. Uh, computer science, electrical engineering, a master's in physics, and he's done a lot of graduate work in biology. And uh, he made a living. No, you didn't make a living. You just um, you just a made side, extra nice bucks. Nice side hustle, yeah. Could, 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 you, could you have made a living? Um, if they let me keep playing, yeah. If they let you keep playing, so I don't, that's I don't, the big I, thing. I, <laughs> well, one of the I, things— I, I'd have retired like in a year because it's the exponential growth law. It is, Anything yes. that you—I mean, if you could be doubling your bankroll every— Few weeks, yeah, yeah. There's the, there's the old story about the king that re- rewarded somebody for some reason by putting rice on a chessboard 
where you put one grain of rice, then two, then four, then eight. And that's the payment that the guy asked for. And then they found out when they got to the 64th square that that was more rice than existed in the world. I, that exponential increase is just just astonishing. Well, we're going to talk next time about uh, card-cheating Christians. <laughs> Card-counting. Card-counting. I'm sorry, yes. Yeah. They were Christians, and they played honest. And they played honestly. Okay, so we're going to talk about that next time. It was a movie called Holy Rollers. Have you ever taken advantage of your skills in betting with other people? Yes, team play. Oh, team Team play. play. But this is a team play at a casino. Yes. Okay, we'll talk about that in a minute. I want to tell you one of of the great examples. I, I want to tell you a way to... Be honest and always win in a lottery. Would you like to know? I would like to know. Okay. I've never this heard of that. This is where you're in a situation where they collect ballots and they put them in a hopper and turn the hopper and they invite somebody up and they reach in and they pull out a, uh, pull out a winner. Like a raffle. Like a raffle. That's exactly right. Uh, the way that you increase this, and I learned this, by the way, from my sweet wife who doesn't have a dishonest bone in her body, but you take your entry and you crumple it up so that it's crumpled up in all of these other flat entries, and that gives it more volume, and you get a better space. You get more space in which to draw. And I'll tell you a true story. Have you ever heard of Hugh Ross? Yes. Okay, Hugh Ross, a great Christian man, great apologist, a great cosmologist. He visited Baylor. Mm. And he says, I'm going to have a drawing for my DVD. He had a new DVD that he was putting out. And he says, I'm going to send around these cards. And they were like index cards. And what he wanted was to collect some emails and stuff in order to increase his email list and things like that. And so you filled it out and uh, you handed it back in. So I was sitting with my wife and my brother. And uh, I elbowed my wife and said, fold it up. So we folded it up like an accordion, okay? Uh, And uh, we handed it back in. And my wife did too. And I asked my brother to do it. And he said, no, I'm not going to do it. He felt felt dishonest. So um, anyway, it was not put in a hopper. Rather, Hugh Ross took all of the cards, kind of shuffled them, and then he held them in his left hand. He reached down with his right hand and grabbed a place where it was convenient and put the card up. And then the next card was the winner. Guess which one he chose? Me. And I was the host. And everybody said, uh, said this is this is fake. You know, Marx has <laughs> Marx's has hosted Ross. But I got his DVD. And then he uh, he put my card aside. And then he uh, he shuffled them again. And he did the same thing. And he chose my wife's card. <laughs> True story. True story. And so he he looked at it and he said, Ross is a very smart guy. And he looked at it and he said, you know, there's something wrong here. And so he put that one aside, and he chose the next one, which was my brother. <laughs> so that, that that's a true story, and that that's hilarious. So that's how to cheat oh, at, at, wow. at raffles. Oh, I see. The, the entire idea is to get the volume of your entry bigger so that you have a bigger chance. I learned the following interesting story from Bill Dembski. Uh, it's, it's from a book called uh, The Broken Dice by Ivor Eklund, E-K-E-L-A-N-D. And it turned out the kings of Norway and Sweden back in the Middle Ages, they were having this this fight to determine the ownership of the island of Hissing, H-I-S-I-N-G. It was a settlement that had alternately belonged to both countries. And you know how they were going to do it? Instead of fighting a war, they were going to roll die. 
Wow. And so uh, thereupon King Olaf, King of Norway, cast the die, and one six chose on one of them. Uh, I'm sorry, no, it wasn't King Olaf. It was the other king. Anyway, that that's not important. But he threw one of them through the die, and it got a 12. And the only way that it could have progressed, according to the way we think about it, is that King Olaf had to also draw a 12. But this was in the Middle Ages. The dice were probably made of clay. And Olaf took the dice and he threw them. And one of the dice broke in two. And so he had a six on one. And the other one, he had a four and a three. So he got 13. And so he declared himself the winner. So what he did, and this is this is one of the ways to, uh, to win in such situations, is to take the assumption of uniformity of results and go in and game it some way in order that it's advantageous to you. Breaking the die was advantageous to King Olaf, and crumpling up my entry for the sweepstakes was a way that I destroyed the uniformity assumption of, of the lottery. So anyway, those are some things you can take with you since and add them to your arsenal. Yes, for uh, for 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 future for future use. Now there have been a, a few movies made about card counting. One is Twenty One with Kevin Spacey. If I remember the movie right, it's been a long time since I've seen it. If I remember the movie right, he was a professor and he was training some people on how to card count. He had discovered. How yes. To card. Do you, have you are you familiar with the movie? Yes, and it's it's loosely based on bringing the house down. There is a true story where the professor, actually, there might have been a manager, but there's some MIT guys, and I think that they formed a corporation called Strategic Investments. Oh, okay. And they pulled a, uh, a large, a substantial amount of money. They got people from MIT and also Harvard School of Business to be card counters, and they'd had the bankroll. So, so the idea is, one, if you have numerous people betting smaller, uh, the law of large numbers helps you. Again, the, the Kelly criterion, applying it. Yes. But it was also to disguise disguise their, their betting patterns. So that was one. Oh, oh so yeah. that they were, they were more stealth in what they did. Yeah. Oh, this was clever. Uh, it was the big player model. And so what would happen is you'd have some guy who would sit at the table and his job was to count. And when when the count was very high... When the shoe was hot, he would signal that the shoe was hot. So you have this these big card. You know, this is these are actually nice multi-deck shoes. And so when the shoe was hot, they're all the. It was loaded. And and so this big player that would be looking for the signals would walk around and he would see it and it's like wow. And and so you know you have the little you have the card counter sitting there. And he's not winning anything. He gets up and Maybe it, look, he's it looks betting like 25, he's... 25. Okay. And then so the big player comes in and just throws a $20,000 bet. <laughs> because he's new, there's no track record of what he bets. And so they think, oh, this could right, be normal. Right, right. He just, he just wandered in the table. He Again, you have to be a good actor, but he'd wander in the table and just said, oh, you know, and if he's a good actor, he'll just be throwing all this money. And, and you know, the law of large numbers would start, you'd have to do this process quite a bit. But uh, it started to rake in the money, and so they kind of avoided the problem of surveillance at one level because what they would do is be focusing on the guy that was just sitting there the whole time, and that was one form of team play. Now, have you ever participated in team play? Not at that scale. Not at that scale. So because I was a marked man, I had a female 
team player, and I would be signaling to her. Now, is this when you were dressed up as a pimp and she was, <laughs> she was one of yes. your Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. So here comes the pimpitous girl. Okay. So... Okay, and there there are other advantages to that because you know surveillance cameras are from the top. Yeah, and not that I ever got her to do this, but well, if you were a pimp, you had a big hat, right? Well, well, ideally you would have one that uh, would like to kind of like have her a very low cut dress, and you hope that the surveillance guys would be are distracted. Are you serious? There's lots of psychology in this, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, and so one time uh, I was at a a table once and this woman that was practically showing really too much. It was the talk of the pit bosses, you know, especially the female pit bosses. Like, did you see that girl sitting there? And I was like, Hey, you know, I could just kind of just blast away. I'd be the invisible man. Uh And I was just like, this is great. You know, really? So she, it was like a magician and she was your distraction. Oh yeah. I was, I didn't worry about being surveilled. So sometimes if you're a card counter, you don't want to, you don't want to display your skill level. Yeah. So sometimes you deliberately not play to your full maximum just gotcha. because you didn't, uh, you know, like the guy playing at his full maximum to go be betting from five to $1,500 and like, it's going to be so obvious you're skilled. Yeah. And so sometimes you tried not to, to, to be that way. So I, I had the female partner there and usually, okay, so I'm an Asian male. I look scholarly. It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be target. She looked like, uh, you know, um, just like an ordinary person. And I just kind of, I'd signal her discreetly. I I was trying to remember. um, Oh, yeah, it would be a verbal cue. I would just, depending on what I would say, she'd know to raise or or lower her bets. Oh, was she playing simultaneously with you? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so it wasn't one after the other, like in in the Kevin Kevin Spacey movie. Right, that's the big player model, right. Gotcha. That's the what model? That's the big player. That's big player. Model. So there's a book called The Big Player by yeah. Kenny Ooston, and Ooston was also a, he uh, was the executive of the Pacific. How do you, how do you spell that? U S T O N. U S T O N. Okay. And he wrote the book. He was a uh, he was an executive of the Pacific Stock Exchange. So there again, you have that that connection to the what we call the real casino, which is the stock market versus the brick and mortar. And, and so he he was the one that started the big player model. And then the MIT team started to copy it. But how did they know that she wasn't card counting if she were if you were sitting at the same place? Um, they would eventually, they'd eventually figure it out. But there, a woman is usually I know this sounds so sexist, but she's usually not suspected of card counting. Uh, seriously, okay. yeah, because yeah. women are known to be intuitive, and most of most of the card counters are almost dominantly male. Ah. So she didn't fit the demographic profile. Yes. Interesting. So, so yeah, I'd be I'd be signaling her, and it, it was fun because then you know I I didn't worry about we never got they never got her on it. So that but was but they my got first, you. Oh, they got me as a solo player. So yeah, so I, you, you, I I didn't get to have that partner very often, but it was fun. Isn't that interesting? and there was also there's also the we did this with craps where uh, they have like the pass line and then they have the don't bet. And they basically negate each other unless the dice were rolled like a 12. But the idea is you limited variance, even yeah. though it was a negative game, but you had you had so little variance. So I'd play like the boy from the hood, and she's the sophisticated. Variance, by the way, you can, you can say that as risk, right? The bigger the variance, the bigger the risk. 
the volat it's volatility okay. you might say but we had ended up having very st stable stable expectation you know the expectation was very much in line with the you know just uh, the variance is very very little but the trick was we had all these marketing coupons and so we would get we would get the marketing coupons would be much larger than our disadvantage and so that was one of the play the advantage plays we would use and so i, I you know i that's where i was getting these 20% loss rebates but we weren't able to you know those are toward the ends of my casino days i see you know, there there was another movie about card counting called Rounders with Matt Damon and Edward Norton. And they got caught card counting and some thugs took them out in the back and beat them up. Did you ever get beat up or do you know of anybody that got beat up? Does that happen or is that pure fiction? It doesn't happen this much in in this day and age. This now, much. Now, you, you, you left the door open for it possibly I happening. I haven't known of anyone uh uh, because, like in Las Vegas, because the uh, of all the surveillance cameras, I, I've not heard, and they don't need to. You know, uh, they, they don't need to hurt anyone. They just ban them from the casinos now with facial recognition. Right. They could just make sure they never come through the doors. Um, so that's how they they're able to deal with them. Uh, but in the old days, when the mob owned the uh, casinos, oh, this was be like in the thirties and forties, and even even in 50s. the early sixties, early sixties. Okay. Yeah, uh, you did not want to be winning too much, or you know, uh, they'd be on to you if you were doing something. Uh, they they could beat you up then. Uh -huh. Now, the one time, one incident I know of, Kenny Ouston getting beat up. It was. Did you mention him before? Kenny yeah, just Houston? now. He's the big player. The author, oh, the big, the big player, player. Yes. Okay. Thank you. It was when he was insulting a dealer, and the mob actually took offense to that. Oh. And they 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 beat him up for that. Okay, but not for not for card counting or cheating. Not for card counting. Okay. I'm sorry. I keep using the word cheating. If you play the game by the rules, you're not cheating. You're an advantage player. You're an advantage, advantage player. player. Okay. Now I will tell you this. I can't speak for the other countries. How the casinos are run there? Ah, like there's some places that are nice to to play on, but you don't want to. Uh, you may not want to be there because you don't know how you'll be treated. I do know. I've heard instances like some of these cruise, uh, these boats, these gambling boats that go out. <laughs> the captain is the the law yeah. out in the sea, and I heard that they'll threaten to throw you overboard. <laughs> so it's like the old pirate movies. You got to walk the plank. <laughs> you got to walk the plank, or they're keel haul and, you. Have you ever and, heard and, of that? They they take you and they put you on one side of the boat and drag you under the boat to the other side. So, so one advantage player to boat. I love playing, and I made money on that boat. Now I'm kind of realizing I was I was kind of in danger there. Was that they, they've discovered this guy was an advantage player? They may have flyered him, meaning that's another term there. Uh, they circulated his photos. It got to the to the surveillance team. So they have sometimes these things where you're flyered. They'll go through this photo album. Say, okay, if you see this guy, he's 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 a he's a bad guy. Well, actually, we tend to think of ourselves as good guys. But anyway, he won a lot of money, and they said, no, we, we determined you're a card counter. We're going to take all your winnings and all your chips. Oh, and he boy. protested, and the captain said, you protest, we're going to throw you overboard. Seriously. So they took all of his money that he won legally, but because they took the money when he was out in the open ocean. So beyond, it's international law and probably under, a law of their own. Right. A law of their own. He got back there. He didn't have any of his money. 
So that was one example of, you know, yeah, kind of using force of violence against a patron. Now, you, both you and I are, are Christians. We're followers of Christ. You did some consulting on another card counting movie called Holy Rollers, which was about Christians that card counted. Could yes. you give us the bet, first of all, kind of a summary of the documentary Holy Rollers and then your involvement and uh, whatever? Well, actually, I wasn't say. a consultant, I was part of the crowdfunding donors. And so oh, they, you were a donor. Yes. Okay. Yes. Well, well, the reason I know that you're listed on the end credits. <laughs> yes. I, I saw the end credits and I said, Sal Cordova, I know the guy. Okay. So I knew immediately that, yeah, you had something well, to I do was with only, it. They only, I put my first and last name, but they only put my first name. So I'm amazed that you're watching the credits and you saw my name and you oh, knew it was me. I was like, wow. I, I was, swore I saw your entire name. You don't think so? I, well, I, the, the version of the of the DVD I had only had my first name, and I was kind of disappointed because I was I was kind of proud. You, of you that. were kind yeah, of proud of it. Okay, t- tell us, tell us. First of all, tell us what the movie was about, and then your involvement. It's about again one of the most successful card counting teams, uh, blackjack teams. They took the casinos for multi millions of dollars. Now they didn't use the big player model. They just what they would do is they would just send players in there with a lot of cash. They'd be throwing down these $10,000 bets or whatever. And uh, if they got burned out and got kicked out, so be it. Then, you know, they'd bring another way. It was a different style of play. It was just kind of, yeah, we'll just keep playing until they kick us out type thing. But the, the idea was they're going to use the law of large numbers. But to have a team like that to be successful, they had to be very honest because you're going to give a guy $100,000, you expect him to report that if he really lost $100,000 versus just pocketing it, he was being honorable. And that's why the team was so effective, because everyone trusted each other and they were honest. Now, these were, to complete the story and why, why, why they call them holy rollers, they were missionaries to Seattle, I believe. Wasn't it Seattle? They were pastors and elders. Pastors and elders. And Typically, they were on. Well, typically, you have to work a second job for many ministry positions, yeah. and so I think that they figured, well, let's not work a second job and go out and toil. Let's go to Vegas and card count, and that's a way that they earn their money. Is that right? Exactly. And again, it's the the exponential law. It's they're able to to leverage that. So they didn't start out with a lot of money, but because they kept reinvesting. The bank, the collective bankroll got bigger and bigger and bigger till the point they were, I think their total winnings at the time, and this was some years ago, was three and a half million dollars. In today's dollars, would that be like ten million? Wow! And they were called. And do you the, know what they started with? The head of the team probably had seven hundred dollars. <laughs> oh, jeez! So, <laughs> boy, that yeah. is the power of the exponential. Uh, now he exponential was really lucky order. because that's kind of a smallish bankroll, but he, you know, I think, I think he. I think his story was he was on food stamps at the time, and that was the only thing he could do. And he had, had a baby to feed. And plus, he had a Christian ministry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. So they found me, and I was just very moved by the story because I, I, I'm a Christian. And it's really funny that these the Christians have had a long history in advantage play, partly because I think it's the discipline of following the book. And to be a good, successful gambler, you want to follow rules and play by the book, so to speak. Sure, so you want to Christ- be you want to be honest, right? Well, 
you know, the Christian tradition, our book is the Bible. Yeah. But that form of discipline extends to other areas of life. You you play by the rules and you're you're disciplined and we're you, taught to submit to authority. And that's yes. what following the rules following is the rules. Part, part of submitting to authority. So if the computer says this is the optimal mathematical play, you do it. You don't, you know, and and, and so it it was that mindset. You also live a clean life. You don't drink. And and the idea really honestly you you don't gamble meaning if you play by the rules you're not you're not getting a thrill out of throwing the money in there and kind of taking the risk yeah you're there because it's a job you're doing this for the honor and glory of God just like Father Fahey of repeat that story it's been it's been a few oh yeah years. Father Fahey was a Catholic priest he was an MIT graduate in economics and he taught mathematics and economics and always his last class that was so popular he would say I'd Okay, now I'm going to teach you how to card count. And he he had <laughs> you know being priest. being a Catholic priest, you have a vow of chastity and poverty, and so he gave all his winnings away, and he was able to get computers for a particular school that he was a part of, uh, part of the athletic facility in the library. So Christians have done well. I mentioned in one of the episodes Keith Keith Taft, yes, who had the wearable computer. He was a Christian. And, and and there are other Christians like Kevin Blackwood and, and, and others. It's I, I don't know why that is. but uh, And then you have the Holy Rollers and their story. So um, It's a great documentary, by the way. I would really recommend it. Oh, yeah. They, they, they oh, do yeah. it so well. Oh, yeah. And I could identify with these people. I mean, they're, they're moral issues that you deal with. It's like, is this the right thing to do? And, and, and you know, it's stuff that I, I dealt with. But for some of us, we felt like we're hurting the casinos and they're the bad guys. Well, they are the bad guys. And also, I think one of the people on Holy Rollers said, you know, the casinos say, come in, have fun, get rich. But if you go in, you have fun and you get rich, they kick you out, <laughs> yeah. right? Uh, even even by their own rules. And that just isn't consistent. So, yeah, I thought it was I thought it was interesting. I've been at a casino once and I went in and it struck me. All of these people were figuring out ways... Uh, to game the system. And some of them were so stupid. One guy was there pumping, uh, I don't know if it was quarters or tokens or whatever, into a machine. And every time he did it, he pulled the one-armed bandit. And then he put his he put his hand across the screen like that would increase his uh, chances of winning. And it was clear he was doing that for some reason. That's and super, you know that these... The, superstitions. The, yeah, yeah, you know that these things have to happen all the time. At these places. Well, one thing that this influenced me on is, um, you know, there's a theological thing called Pascal's Wager, and I yes. began to, I began to vision, I began to conceive of life this way, you know, at a personal level, and then also I realized everyday life also has, you're, you're wagering on things where you have incomplete information, and you're, it's kind of the the benefit to cost, the the reward to risk ratios. Yeah. And I began to view things very differently in in other realms of my personal life uh, because I'd done this kind of semi professionally, and and it did affect the way I looked at the world and and how to live my everyday life and and how to invest time, et cetera, and and, and money and resources and things. I I would say. It affected my personal life in a very positive way, ironically. Pascal's wager, by the way, is, is incredible. Yeah. Blaise Pascal, by the way, was the guy that, well, the metric unit for pressure is named after Pascal. Pascal. He invented one of the first computers called the Pascaline, 
ah. which his which his father his his father was in accounting or something like that. So he invented that and marketed it. Uh, that's the reason there was a computer language called Pascal. Pascal, yeah, I Pascal. could actually program in that. Oh, you do <laughs> program away, in Pascal. Yeah, I'm giving away my age here now. I used I used to program in Pascal. That was I think. That in, basic was my first language. Pascal is my second. Well, the other thing he did with Fermat was create the world of probability. There's a famous book called the um, the Unfinished Game, and it's a series of letters between the great mathematician Fermat and Pascal, going back and forth trying to figure out. This is not complete, but it's like somebody played the World Series, and it's the best of seven games. But they played five games, and Team A won three games, Team B won two games, but they all got killed in a plane crash. The winner was to get a million dollars. So the question is, how is that million dollars to be divided up? So that was the unfinished game. And they, they, they put these letters back and forth and found and came up with probability. And in a few years, they had things like actuaries. They had insurance because people could, could forecast the future in a probabilistic sense. And it's so obvious to, to us now. But back then, uh, you know, the idea of talking about the future was just kind of ridiculous until Pascal and Fermat did it. And I would add one other thing. So, so it was Pascal of Pascal's wager that actually formulated a lot of the gambling stuff. So like the concept of expected value, that was Pascal. That was Pascal. Which now, you know, it reverberated through all of physics because a lot of quantum mechanics is expressed in terms of expected value. You'll just see that the idea of notion of expected value. So this is kind of very interesting how all this... All this goes you know, together. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. But Pascal had, I guess, what a, a Baptist would call a born-again experience. In fact, on his deathbed, they found some mm. letters on him. Have you heard this? Uh, it was called The Night of Fire, and where he be he became a Christian. He recognized who Christ was and decided to follow him, and he wrote down a lot of his feelings from The Night of Fire, and they're preserved for history. We can go back and read them. So from that point on, he spent all of his time in apologetics. Yeah. For example, in uh, doing Pascal's wager, and just uh, just an astonishing man, and he died when he was thirty nine. Un unbelievable, yeah. yeah. What the what? contributions? Yeah. So the you know theology wise, and then his contributions to mathematics, and then which now led to just big breakthroughs in physics, and then it comes back full circle. It got used in casinos, which is where it started. <laughs> yeah, the probability that Fermat and Pascal. Well, let's let's get back to the topic. Uh, final question: Somebody hearing this might go, you know, I want to learn card counting and I want to go out and make big bucks. Uh, do you have any advice for those sort of people? I'd say don't do it. Don't do it. Uh, your time is better spent elsewhere. But if you just love it for the game, just get on a computer simulator and pretend you have. Because in a computer simulator, you could you could bet a million dollars and nobody cares. Nobody cares, yeah. and you could feel. So that's 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 the advice I would give. There 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 are a lot of gambles in life. If you really like gambling, which I hope you don't, but there are plenty of places you can take risks. And so I would say take risks for the things that are of value in your life, like the stock market. <laughs> I don't know. You know. I can't tell you where to take risks, but for for me, take risks for good causes. Take risks for other people to to care for them. That's that's where I, you know, if I had to do it all over again, that's where I would say, okay, you know, I might give money to this charity or that ch charity, and 
you know, could be squandered. But that that's a worthy risk. Yeah. And, you know, I'm kind of, you know, uh, there might be career decisions to, 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 to take a risk. But again, if you feel that the outcome might outweigh your potential losses, then take take the risk. Are you ever going to card count again? I haven't since I got kicked out. <laughs> since you got kicked so, out. So I don't know. But you just got but, kicked out of one place. There's lots of casinos. You but I'm there. on the Sin Network now. The oh, surveillance information. Is that right? Oh, okay. yeah. My, so my, you, you've been blackballed. I, I, <laughs> Oh, I, I'd have to sneak in in my pimp outfit if I wanted to do that. You know? <laughs> no, you so. need something else. It's out there now that you dress up as a pimp. So thank you, Sal. This has, oh, been, this has been a great time. We've been talking to uh, Sal Cordova. Uh, Sal has degrees in mathematics, computer science, electrical engineering, has an MS in applied physics from Johns Hopkins. I think your other degrees were from George Mason, is that yes. right? And he's also done NIH um, work in, in biology. And he uh, he knows a lot about gambling and card counting. So thank you for sharing this with us. We appreciate it. So until next time, be of good cheer. This has been Mind Matters News with your host, Robert J. Marks. Explore more at mindmatters.ai. That's mindmatters.ai. Mind Matters News is directed and edited by Austin Egbert. The opinions expressed on this program are solely those of the speakers. Mind Matters News is produced and copyrighted by the Walter Bradley Center for Natural and Artificial Intelligence at Discovery Institute.